Hey friends, it's Tim with the Daily Attic Podcast. This episode is brought to you by HappyLifeHerbals.com where you get the highest quality CBD money can buy. And it's not overly priced either. You can check out the COA, the third-party test results on each label. You can scan it with your phone and you can see the date it was made, the batch it was made, what's in it. And we always guarantee the quality of it, for sure. There's a lot of education on the website. If you have any questions about CBD and you want to know how it affects the endocannabinoid system and how it works with your body and different ailments that you may have, please just give the website a visit. Check it out for yourself. And if you're interested, put DAP, D-A-P, in the promo code. Support the show, people. We appreciate it, even if you know somebody. This episode has Joe Cervantes in it as our guest. And Joe Cervantes is a district attorney in Jackson County, Illinois. And he's running for prosecuting attorney. So if you're in that area and you're familiar with the the Christian Reichert situation or what's going on in Illinois, make sure you support Joe. He's a good candidate. He's going to do a fine job. I can't wait till he gets in and makes some, you know, common sense decisions when it comes to these sentences and maybe even put a drug court in Jackson County or something. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still kind of teeter tottering on that drug court thing, but either way, enjoy the show. Thanks. America's public enemy. Number one in the United States is drug abuse. Yo, welcome to the Daily Attic Podcast. It's your boy, Tim, and your boy, Dave. What's up? Listen, folks, today we have a special guest, uh, Joe Cervantes. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Joe um, is an attorney. He's running for uh, states. Uh, well, it'd be like a DA, but you said it's called state's attorney for in, in Jackson County. Yeah, that's right. Jackson County, Illinois. Jackson County, Illinois. And your story is quite amazing now, now that I'm kind of touching on how you got to where you're at and you talked about being, you know, going full circle. But just kind of as far as your experience with the criminal justice system and the things that are broken in it because you've seen it from different paradigms, just take us back to where to where it started, like what, what you were talking about earlier. Well, I, I think um, the, the important thing to, to know is that the criminal justice system is, is very different depending on what role you're, you're playing in it. it. It's hard to see it all on, on the same playing field. Um, I think I've been, a, well, I've, I've been a prosecutor. I've been a defense attorney. I've been a private defense attorney. Uh, but what's unique, and I think what makes me most experienced, I'm coming to find out, is that I was a defendant, and I was a juvenile uh, in the system. Uh, so I, I started off living a pretty normal, you know, if that's such a thing, uh, life in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, but when my only parent passed uh, at the age of 10 years, when I was 10 years old, um, I, I kind of uh, started couch surfing as a kid. And got into some pretty bad situations uh, in the in the city in Chicago, 
And uh, I'll tell you the truth, that city just beat me up and kicked me in the face when I was down. It was a rough, rough time for me. In fact, um, I didn't even graduate high school. And sometimes that's how I start off um, introducing myself. I, I tell people, you know, when I'm a high school dropout. And uh, it kind of gets people's attention. But yeah. I've seen this victim uh, from the inside of the courtroom, um, you know, unfortunately. Uh, but I hope that's given me a pretty good perspective on, uh, on how to, how to uh, treat things from the other, the other side of the courtroom as well. Yeah, that's interesting because that's very good. And I understand Chicago is still rough. I mean, Chicago, I could only imagine um, some of the things you saw, some of the things you, you were exposed to, but a lot of these things, um, didn't, you didn't let it break you. You didn't use it for an excuse to go the bad route. You didn't use it for excuse to, you know, in life, it seems like you've achieved a lot throughout all that adversity. And that's, that makes, uh, it very interesting. And I'm very interested in this bid for you. Yeah, and, and that's, that's good. No, it's, it wasn't me. It was because I, I had it running with, you know, call it karma or chance or, or luck or, or faith, whatever. But I just happened to run into people who were uh, good examples for me along the way that, that you know, allowed me to slip but not far enough. And I think I use that as a philosophy of how I want to run a modern state attorney's office. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So let's, uh, I, I always wanted to ask an, a, a question um, and to an attorney, but this is going to be really good because you, you've been both a uh, de, uh, defensive attorney and a prosecutor. And I think Ron Chapman's been that too, hasn't he? When Ron Chapman was on? Oh, I can't remember. Um, we, anyways, uh, one of the things about evidence and when you're a prosecuting attorney and you're working with the investigators of the case, especially in drug, I'm, I'm talking about drug related cases here. And, um, you know, is, is it possible that a prosecuting attorney could, um, you know, either withhold evidence from the defense attorney or, or, uh, you know, not divulge all everything in order to like make his case stronger against, you know, a defendant to tr try to make him plea or something like that, like a tactical well, advantage. Well, they're, they're not supposed to, obviously, you know, um, there, there, there's two things there. The first one is there's evidence that the investigators do not provide the state attorney's office, um, because they don't feel that it's, it's, uh, necessary for the case or they just, give the state attorney the minimum required. And so when I'm a, a defense attorney, what I found out is that I need to subpoena information from the police department um, and not just rely on the discovery that's given to me by the state attorney's office. Oh, yeah, so that makes sense. Pro pro prosecutors are supposed to give me any type of discovery, and the, the, the ruling is that it's any discovery that could be um, helpful to the defense. They're supposed to give that to me. Uh, but if they never have it in the first place, they don't have to give it to me. And so I always subpoena records from the police department and I request the information from the prosecutor's office. But as a prosecutor, um, you know, we sometimes use drugs and drug cases to to punish somebody because we know that that they are uh, violent or they are trouble in another way. So we utilize gotcha. the, the possession or the drug use or the you know, so that we can get, you know, so-and-so off the street. I think that's a bad habit. 
Um, you know, sometimes it's useful, but I think it's overused far too much. Yeah. And one could argue that, you know, the drugs are making that person do bad things and not because of they they're using them, but because when you have, you know, you're in a tough spot because this is just a, this drug war doesn't make sense in, in some ways. And, and in some ways, and, 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 and well, one of the ways, the way that you talked about using it is, you know, people, because the, because the drugs are so valuable because they're illegal and they're, they're harder to get. Um, these drug dealers have to result to violent tactics and I'm not excusing it because it's awful, but at the same time, the violence and the, the, the things that make them bad people. And part of that is because of the drugs, Do you know what I mean? So it's, so I, you, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. But what, one of the issues is that it doesn't always follow as such. Right. So, um, a lot of drug arrests for possession and delivery and conspiracy, they don't involve violent crime. Yeah. We're only we're only prosecuting them because we believe they do or because we believe they will eventually be something violent, but they're not. And so what we have is we have nonviolent offenders with possession delivery, which is uh, a very questionable offense to charge and conspiracy, which is even more questionable uh, as far as the charge to, to uh to, to, to charge someone with um, that don't have anything to do with violent crime. We're just uh, we're having somebody in office assuming who's never been in that neighborhood doesn't know what it's like, who's never been at the defense table. We're having that person on their on his or her moral high ground, explaining that because the person possesses drugs that they either intend to sell them, uh, that they're a part of this larger conspiracy, or that they're about to commit a violent crime, and that is not beyond a reasonable doubt. That is, that's not a reason to put somebody uh, in jail and incarcerate them, um, because as we know, every single contact that somebody has with the criminal justice system has incredibly harmful uh, circumstances or, or, I guess, uh, consequences and tons of, co- uh, of collateral, uh, you know, uh, I guess, effects on, on an individual. It ruins their lives. It destabilizes the individual and it destabilizes the community. Yeah, I agree. Very well put. Um, speaking of that, this is a perfect segue. Um, in, in your county, we interviewed uh, on episode 81, we had on Tina Reichert. She's the mother of Christian Reichert. He's a 28-year-old, um, uh, 28-year-old man. He's in prison right now for, I think it's drug possession and conspiracy. I wasn't sure if he got wrapped up in that shootout or not. He wasn't part of the shootout, but either way, um, just a tragic story, just a tragic story. This guy's, he's a young guy. Um, he was renting a house for the summer. Um, his, his friends were involved with, you know, moving some marijuana. It was found on his property. I think it was 20 pounds of marijuana was found on the property. Um, he got wrapped up in the, in the conspiracy and the, um, delivery of it and he got 23 years no prior offenses and he was back off of his he's he's actually uh he was a lumberjack or a tree 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 guy guy, and he was out on the west coast doing some doing some lumbering and his boss sent him home for he got laid off or something so he rented this house and he wasn't he was just here by chance it's not like he was here doing you know 
dealing drugs this whole time and trying to you know ruin the community or whatever and and the the thing that makes it even worse now in illinois marijuana is legal and cannabis you know cannabis you can go buy it in a store but here he is he's sitting in prison and he's been there for i want to say he's been there for four years now maybe seven years he's been there longer than he should have been obviously but um what how how are you going to approach things like this? And, and and I know you're aware of this story because Tina is the one that 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 told us about you. And uh, how, how do you help this situation? How do we fix this? Because this is this isn't right. Well, we've got to attack it from a few different a few different angles. You know, first is, is my philosophy on on this on this uh, legalization of cannabis. Um, I want to start by saying before I get into that that. As a young prosecutor, I realized right away or started questioning, I should say, why some drugs are legal and why some are illegal. Because to me, when I look at the, the schedule uh, in the code, that's, that's what makes something legal or illegal. Um, it's not based on science. No. It's not, it's not based on health. It's not based on safety. It's, it's unfortunately... I think it's based on who uses it and where it comes from and how well we can regulate it. Uh, and there's nothing just about that. When you're talking about picking up felonies for things that are arbitrarily uh, set to be a felony, you know? So that's my perspective is that I, I'm very cautious and I understand that there's not exactly a science or health reason to why things are legal and, and illegal. And I think any good prosecutor should start with that premise. You can't blindly follow the law because all laws are not just. Um, and so I start with that premise that I'm not exactly sure why things are, because if you look, there's studies that are done that talk about how violence follows substances and substance use. Alcohol is the number one. Um, substance that's legal. That is, <laughs> Right, it's been, it's been legal for a long time, and we've taken we've kind of taken the stigma away from that, haven't we? By we don't call people alcohol addicts; we call them alcoholics, or you know, right. they're alkies or something. Uh, but they can go through a, a, a several step program and get better, relapse and get better, as long as they don't hurt anybody. However, that's not the case for other illegal substances, which we're not exactly sure why they're illegal in the first place. So I start I start there. How we fix the cannabis issue? Look, how can I justify a farmer being able to grow? you know, hundreds of acres of it, a businessman be able to sell millions of dollars of it. But then a young, you know, kid in Jackson County, Illinois, who has 31 grams, enough to roll maybe a joint and a half. Uh, and, and he's, he's going to be arrested and put in jail. Uh, you know, at that point, I feel as though the state is asking me to regulate their taxing and their transportation of goods. Um, you know, I, I, that's not my job as a prosecutor. My job is to make sure the community is safe, and my job is to do justice. So why am I regulating the sale of goods, being cannabis? How, mm -hmm. can, how can a farmer not be prosecuted, a businessman not be prosecuted because he's fortunate enough to have the, the money to apply for a license, um, but yet 30 grams of it in your car is is unlawful? Right. Um so how I attack that is by is by being just and explaining that look, um, it either needs to be legal or illegal because right now in Illinois it's not. I'm not exactly sure if you knew the rules or the laws in Illinois. It's not completely legal. It's legal to sell. It's legal to have, but there's a lot of rules. 
there. And okay. if you have, it's, it's, it's have, heavily regulated then. So it is recreational and medical, right? And, and, but with, right. with, with recreational, obviously there's, there's probably age requirement. There's probably a, a you know, an amount you can have or a possession amount. And uh, I'm not sure if individuals can grow or not. Um, so you, so you can, you can grow, you know, so many plants, I believe per okay. person. Yeah. yeah and then the 30 grams is the, the limit. Um, and I'll tell you how ridiculous this is real quick. I just want a, a story about cannabis and the yeah, amount. No, take your time. Young, young man come from, uh, he's driving from Missouri, a Missouri resident and had a backpack in his car was pulled over in Illinois and he had 16 grams of cannabis in two different bags. Um, and that, that was including the, the weight of the bags. He also had a firearm on him that Ooh. was legal in Missouri. Okay. Yeah. He bought it. He bought it legally in Missouri. It was in his backpack and he was traveling to his girlfriend's house in Illinois. So a misdemeanor possibly with the unlawful possession of the firearm since he didn't have a Floyd card, but really that that's not much of a charge around here because we're in a rural area, right? So if you're not, if you're not a felon, you, you pretty much are going to be able to carry a firearm. That That's no reason to, to, to charge somebody with a felony around here. Um, but the cannabis was about to be legal. It was already uh, past July 1st. We knew that the cannabis 16 grams was going to be legal in just a matter of a few months. So instead of a misdemeanor charge of maybe possession, $300 ticket, something like that, what we have is a charge for a class X felony hmm. for possession intent to deliver with a, with a deadly weapon, with an unlawful weapon. So instead of a $300 fine and a ticket, we're looking at a minimum of six years to 30 years in the Department of Corrections. Damn. That's how the case was charged. Young man, no criminal history, trying to get into the armed forces. That's terrible. So there's a lot of problems with with cannabis and how we, we go about charging cannabis. Right now, even though we, we sprung him after 45 days, he spent 45 days in jail while he was going through this process. We're looking at about $100 a day. So you're looking at $4,500 a day uh, expense to keep him jailed over $30 of cannabis. And then we talk about whether this is a Democrat or Republican issue. This is just a, an issue about justice. Uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, and so that, that's one of the many stories, and I tell more in detail sometimes, but that's one of the many stories of, of what kind of decisions are being made when we're, we're not properly educated on on, uh, on drug reform. Oh, so, okay. Um, as far as far as Rikers, we have to attack it from a different things. We have to make sure that we continue to push drug reform legislation in Illinois, even though it's legal uh, for recreational medical use. There's a lot of work to be done legislatively. Uh, we have to make sure that we're giving people um, an opportunity to to to, uh, uh, to justice when they're currently incarcerated, meaning that they don't have to go through the old process of requesting clemency and going through appeal processes. We need to streamline that for them. Uh, and I'd love to be an advocate for that. And finally, we need to stop incarcerating uh, for nonviolent drug offenses. Um, we need to make sure people are getting treatment. We need to make sure that we're being smart about incarceration and the cost of incarceration. And lastly, we need to make sure that we have drug court in Jackson County, one of the few counties that is as diverse as Jackson as, as it is, that does not have a drug court right now. Oh, wow. That's interesting. 
Yeah, um, that's. I got that's a man a, crush. That's a good. That's a good. <laughs> that's a good, <laughs> control yourself. Control yourself. I'm trying. Man. I'm trying. Um, getting back to Christian, what can you do specifically? I know you said you'd advocate for uh, you. You know, you'd be an advocate for laws to streamline the process and so forth. But what can you do when you get in office to help this guy? I mean, is there anything you can do for him to free Christian? Because, you know, he's rotting away in jail. I mean, this this there's this, probably fifty other people that need help too, man. Oh it yeah, has to oh, be, there's, oh, oh there's probably yeah, a lot. There's, there's probably a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's probably many in Jackson County, but um, this is the one that sticks out to me. We've just been. Um, I think I think his mom's got some things going on. I think he's going through that clemency process you talked about. Or no, wait, that wasn't it. She's uh. There's going to be a retrial. There is a. Uh, they're working on an appeal. Yeah, they're working on an appeal right now. Okay, so well, there. Be, be, yeah, because there was a decision already in the order. You know, a lot of things were out of my hand as far as this case and trial court level about the state's attorney. Um, I do know that I I have no problem making sure that we utilize him and other examples, especially his, to make sure it doesn't happen again. That there's Perfect. no more Tina having to call into your show. Um, and I'll be an advocate to, to work with victims and people to get substance abuse treatment, to start a drug court, to make sure these things don't happen again. Um, I'd love to stand on the courthouse steps and, and let people know that I, I can't justly charge for possession anymore. Uh, if some people can possess and others, others uh, can't, it's just not there. Uh, and so I think that going forward, you're really going to have to, you know, things can be illegal and not be criminal. There's other, there's other examples of that. Um, and so if something's illegal, like more than 30 grams of cannabis in Illinois, I'd love to work with the cities to make sure that those are ordinance violations and civil penalties as opposed to criminal violations. Yeah. I um, mean, it makes sense. Why not make money off of it instead of pour money into it? You know, there's only a few people making money off the drug war. It's the private prisons. It's the people that are employed by it every day. I mean, it's the companies that, you know, have the tobacco, alcohol cartels. and caffeine cartels i mean there's a lot of money to be made in the illegal drug war don't get me wrong but if you made drugs legal for possession and you controlled it through civil fines then if people are going bonkers with it or they're being you know they're not following the law at least your municipality's making money instead of costing money all the time you know you, you have over 30 grams you got to pay a hundred dollar fine now you just you paid for that officer's time and, and, and hopefully, you know, people that, that pay, you know, they just don't carry more than that amount. Yeah. Don't carry more than that amount, but you know, um, yeah, it could, then, then it becomes a tax, a taxing issue and, and a representative issue to make sure that you, you put people in office to tax it the way you want or to find it the way that you want. And it, it frees our office up to do what we're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And, serious, serious crimes, serious office. crimes. Crimes, concentrate on our juveniles and make sure they don't get entangled in the criminal justice system. Uh, concentrate on those types of things and those programs. Education. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Joe, I got another question about, because you were talking about earlier about uh, alcoholics and going through the 12 step program and having that uh, available to them. And in the justice system, a lot of times the 12 step program is used by the courts. Um, to you know mandate people that are arrested for drugs or alcohol or whatever they mandate a 12-step system but a 12 the problem with the 12 steps uh, step system is that you're not you're not allowed to use any other medications to help with your addiction 
And there has been overwhelming studies being done now with a medication helping addiction. There's a medication in it. I talked about, we talked about it in a podcast. Of course, I can't remember all the uh, different medications out there, but there's a medication for alcoholism uh, that you take this medication. And if you drink on it, you don't feel so well. So it kind of works kind of maybe like, like um, Chantix does for smoking or something like that. But do you think there needs to be a change in that? Should the courts be mandating a 12-step system that a lot of times the group therapy um, is not for everybody? I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying it's not for everybody, you know? So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are that the, the criminal justice system depends on the location of that individual jurisdiction treat the, to treat drug abuse substance abuse. And if you look at drug court and drug court success, um, you can look at many different places for the statistics about whether uh, there's a higher or low recidivism rate when it comes to drug courts. Um, The statistics honestly change depending on jurisdiction. And a lot of experts now believe it's because jurisdictions have different types of resources that may or may not be efficient or helpful in that area. So it's hard to say across the board. We know drug courts are successful. There are less expenses than incarceration. For every dollar you spend on on uh, on, on uh, drug court, you uh, it's said to recruit twelve dollars in incarceration, which is staggering when you're talking about spending money. Um, but the, the the thing is, is the, the rates change in some areas. It's drastically. Um, different when you put somebody through drug court because it's it's supervised individual treatment, you know, to the individual defendant in front of the judge on a weekly basis. Gotcha. Other do it a little bit different, and they don't have the resources available. You know, in a rural area like here, we have maybe a, a half a dozen options for treatment, um, whereas in, in a, a, even a more rural area may only have one or none. So um, um. I think it's. That's why I'm an advocate for drug court because when we when we, we put somebody in drug court, there's an individual process um, and evaluation, and then we can utilize as many resources as we can find. Um, the question then becomes, how do we get those resources available? The, fine, um, the and, fines. Use the fines for opening up programs. and Right. You know, you there, know. there's a lot to do that. You know, one of the, one of the, the things that I've suggested is, is um, you know, with seizure law, when we seize... Uh, assets and money for drug, uh, from drug raids and, and, and such. And those things are forfeited. They go, you know, in Illinois, 10% goes to the Illinois State Police, 30% goes to the prosecutor's office, and the rest, um, 60% goes back to the law enforcement agency that, that sees the items. I don't understand exactly why we're feeding that money back into the war on drugs as opposed to feeding it into the substance abuse and, and treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me if the, the money's coming from drugs, why don't we put it back into treating uh, the issue, which is substance abuse? So there's a lot of ways that we can work on, on trying to get those programs. But drug court, I, and your question about does that 12-step program work, you're exactly right. It works for some people. But if we get people in drug court, they can come in front of the judge one by one, and we can actually evaluate them and find out what's going to work for them. Um, it's different for everybody. Are they a single mother? Do they have a family? Do they have a support system in place? Are they lacking the support system? Um, all those things are factors um, on, on how we deal with it. Um, but it's true that that, that 12-step program won't work for everybody. It's also true that by, by sending them over to probation, 
and having a loose probation type of arrangement with somebody who's substance abuse is, is a failed, failed program. It just doesn't work. Probation is not set up to do that. And so what we're doing is we're setting people up to have technical violations. And right now in Illinois, about 15 to 17% of the incarcerated individuals in Illinois, which is about 40,000 individuals, they're all there for technical violations. Wow. So that's a way that we can decrease um, our, our, uh, our, our prison population is by making sure that, that we're not setting people up for failure, that we're setting them up for success. Yeah, our, our prison population and our prison system is just overwhelmingly uh, crazy. It's just... Does that make sense? Oh, it's... it's 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 bad. No, it's bad. No, what what you're saying to- makes total sense. I wish you were. Uh, we still on? No, we lost them somehow. Oh, okay. We'll give them a call back. Yeah, we'll bring them back up. I think I lost you. Yeah, we we're back now. We're back now. No, what you're saying, what you're saying, Joe, makes perfect sense. A hundred percent. I wish you were running for uh, state attorney for Saginaw County instead of Jackson yeah. County. I wish you were up here, man, or somebody send some of your counterparts this way. Um, no, this all makes sense. It's hold on, I got a call coming in. Yeah, um, sorry. Drug courts. So if 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 a county doesn't have drug courts. How do you go about getting drug courts? Is that the uh, is that the DA's job to kind of introduce that? Is that something that gets voted in on a measure, or is that just the structure of the government? It's it's purely just the structure of the of the judicial branch. Um, the court uh, and the presiding judge can uh, can institute a drug court. You know, Williamson County is a similar county um, right next door to Jackson, and I worked there as an assistant state's attorney. And we tried so hard uh, back in the day. I wrote a white paper to try to introduce drug court and veterans court to uh, to Williamson County because there is a VA hospital here. And it was shot down several times. And finally, the, uh, a new judge that came in, she grabbed it and ran with it. Um, and it, it's a process where you have to have assistant state attorneys go through a training program with the Illinois Supreme Court. Uh, the judge, I believe, has to go through some type of training program, but... Uh, all in all, it's, it's cost efficient. It doesn't cost a lot of money to do. Um, and it's just a matter of holding people accountable. You know, I think a lot of law enforcement officers around the area didn't understand exactly what drug court was. And I kind of got the attitude at first, like, oh, you're letting these people off the hook. No, not absolutely not. Drug court is, is a stricter punishment than probation. Yeah, because um, you got to go like every week and, you know. Yeah, exactly. There's some, peop- some people say, you know, that, We'd rather have them in jail or have, have them for jail. It's extremely expensive. But when they come out, they really haven't dealt with the issue if they are truly substance abuse. No, and if you lock so, them up, I mean, you're you're not only hurting that person. You're hurting the community. You're hurting the family. You're hurting the, the kids, the mothers, the sisters. I mean, it's – and you're going to mess his health, life up for the rest of his life too, and it's not fair just for some drugs. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's, the statistics are alarming about, about uh, single-parent homes and what we do to another generation of individuals. So we really have to make sure that we're, we're doing everything that we can. Uh, drug court, I'm adamant about starting drug court in Jackson County and, and, and working hard to make sure people are in front of the judge every week. And we're not just sentencing, you know, or scheduling them for another probation appointment in 90 days. You know, what happens when you're, when you're, uh, when you're addicted 
and you get out of jail and, and, and they give you 45 days or 60 days before you have to show up anywhere and take a drug test. Right. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. We're setting them up for failure by doing that. So, yeah, there's a lot to that. There's a lot to true addicts and people that just use recreational drugs. You know, like there's, it's, it's very possible because not all drugs are as addictive as the media makes it seem. Like for instance, the most addictive drug is nicotine and that's legal. If, if you're, you know, of age, of course, but 67% chance you're going to be in, you're addicted. If you take, if you smoke your first cigarette, 67 and where cannabis is like 6% methamphetamine is right 18 20. i used a lot of cocaine for a lot of years and i don't use it recreationally though i mean you just kind of like say hey I'm no just i was gonna... like every day for <laughs> so, many many years so you're addicted to it i might have been but but you could just say hey i, I don't need it and just yeah i mean there, there's days i was like you know i'll just rather take this lsd or or whatever that day <laughs> instead so it was but I don't use that crap anymore. So. No, but it's good. That's good. You were able to. I always believe using it. I always believed, man. That I mean, you you live such a short life. If you want to, you know, cover some of your pain, you want to relax. You should be able to find a substance as long as you're not hurting nobody. I mean, you should be able to yeah. sit back and relax and do whatever, man. And the and and Joe was talking about it earlier. This this. The drug schedule makes no sense whatsoever. The drug scheduling is like, we covered it in an episode. We broke it down, and I thought that we knew how ridiculous it was, but when you break it down and talk about it out loud, it even sounds more, it's it's, it's just stupid how cannabis is a schedule one and heroin is a schedule two. It's just all all these different things. Like, are you kidding me? I got a question for you, Joe. What's your take on the, uh, the opiate crisis? Yeah, so um, it's. Uh, remember, I was talking a little earlier about how you know we, we don't necessarily know why things are legal or illegal, and uh, unfortunately, I think that sometimes we're we're uh, we're charging offenses because of uh, not because of how dangerous the drug is, but by who's using it. Uh, for years, there's been an opioid issue, um, and I, I think one of the the, the thing is, is we hadn't charged it because of who usually uses. Um, you know, with our, our war on drugs, we ended up in, in the, the poor neighborhoods. We ended up in, in neighborhoods like I grew up in. Well, that's the um, way it was, was built on, though. It was built for that. Right, yeah. right. And, 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 uh, and so for years and years, this war on drugs ignored some of the, the probably one of the most heinous of addictions because it affects um, it, you know, I, I see it as, as, as one of the drugs that doesn't even see poor or rich or anything else. Um, it affects all types of neighborhoods, all types of income levels, all colors, all races. Um, and it goes largely unnoticed uh, a lot of the time until recently. And now all of a sudden we have all these panels on, on the opioid crisis when there's really been one for a long time. Um, in fact, a lot of heroin use and, and other use had started from a prescription one day. Um, I've had an individual, uh, house, uh, former housewife with three kids, three young kids. I was in a car accident uh, and was prescribed for pain, certain medications from her doctor. And we fast forward about four and a half years later, 
And this 32-year-old housewife is now on her third felony, um, multiple misdemeanors over and over again, and about to be sentenced to the Department of Corrections. And it's all for drug use stemming from the initial uh, pain medication that was prescribed to her. Um, divorced, uh, kids in danger of being taken, um, and, uh, and and I mean, I could go on and, and tell more details, but, you know, we, we're still trying to help this young lady out. Um, but we see it affect all different types of families in all different neighborhoods. And I think the biggest thing is awareness. Um, next is, is really kind of out of my office's uh, jurisdiction, and that's regulation of prescription medication and what doctors are prescribing. I don't know enough about that right now. Um, but I do know that there has to be substance abuse treatment when it comes to that, when it comes to the state attorney's office. We have a, a young lady who, you know, the same young lady there for theft and for possession of other types of drugs. It's really important to look at the underlying causes of the crime, of the offense, because you, that's how you make the community safer by making sure it doesn't happen again. Right. So I could easily, you know, the prosecutor could easily, and this is what they're doing. They're, they're, they're going after her possession of a controlled substance. They, you know, if I wasn't her defense attorney in too many cases, I know this about the prosecutor and a defense attorney in too many cases, the prosecutor goes forward without ever knowing that story that I just told you. They don't know that she's a housewife. They don't know that she was in a traffic accident uh, that almost took her life several years ago. They don't know her story, and it's so important for the defense attorney to be able to tell that story so we can treat the underlying problem. She needs substance abuse treatment and counseling. Uh, we need to get her back right again, as opposed to uh, prosecuting her for possession of those uh, of those medications. So I, I think drug court does a lot there with individualizing every single case, making sure that there is uh, people know that there is a name behind every case number, that a person's not labeled by their case number, that they have a name, that they have a story, and that story has to be told. And if we treat that story as opposed to this, you know, uh, offense, this law that may or may not be just, then we're going to be more successful. I, uh, I would like to challenge you on something. The uh, addiction rate of, say, you know, I break my leg, I go to the doctor, they give me some pain pills, that addiction rate is actually pretty low if you take them properly. And I think that this opiate crisis is kind of going the wrong direction and attacking the wrong people. Like the, you know, the doctors who follow the rules prescribe it to people and they take it as they're supposed to. Um, I mean, doctors are getting raided with guns and SWAT teams and I don't know, man. Yeah, that's what we were, that's Joe said, uh, you said you weren't really up on that part of it, right. and that's that's something that we cover every other week with uh, Claudia Mirandi. She's a patient advocate that we that we uh, have on the show quite often with different guests and stuff. But the pain patients that got caught up in this drug war is staggering. Like the chronic pain patients, like Not, five million of them. There's more than well, way at more least, than yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, as far as like debilitating pain and, you know, amputees and veterans and people that really have a lot of ailments um, sometimes get now they've got caught into this to the point they can't get the medication they need just to feel good. So what are they going to do for pain? They're going to go find something 
other that other, works other. or they're going to kill themselves. Right. A lot of there's a lot of suicide rates. There's a lot of illegal drug activity. And then the problem, the the problem with with opiates and the is that they come in, you know, the form of you got your Norcos and you got your prescription. And then on the street, you have uh, heroin and fentanyl and uh, fake pills and everything else being made. And the problem is when they go to these street drugs and they're laced with illicit fentanyl. I don't know where you're getting. And you're having these overdoses now that are skyrocketing. Um, it's a very complex issue. It's a, it's a, it's an issue that I don't know what the, if the intentions were to stop, obviously there were pill mills, yep, obviously there, there were doctors over prescribing, obviously people took advantage of the situation. All that happened. Yes. But what got caught in the, you know, something that got caught unintentionally was the, was the pain patients that really need, that really need medication. Even right now, like after surgeries, if you have a, a surgery, a lot of hospitals are saying, no, you're taking Tylenol and that's it. Right. I mean, that's kind of. And, yeah. and so, and so a lot of times what we're doing is we're asking a judge or a prosecutor or a probation officer to start making decisions that you yourself had just explained to be complex. It, it is complex. And, and that's why it's important to make sure you have somebody who's identifying the problem. Right. You know, you and I can identify them. We may not know what the cure is exactly. We're not experts in that field, but you, you know, incarceration is not the, the oh, issue. No. It's, oh, not, no, no, it's no. not the solution. And so being able to identify them and get them the help they need is, is I think that the job of the prosecutor, um, you know, is this a problem? Is this a problem that can be fixed by treatment? Let me know what the, what the problem is, but I know one thing it's not that that's not the problem. The problem is the underlying abuse, right? Yeah. So we need people in office to make sure that they're identifying that threat and getting them to the resources they need, as opposed to uh, trying to chalk up one more victory, uh, you know, in, in their, in their imagination, uh, uh, so that they can say that they're a tough prosecutor on drugs or tough on crime or tough on, you know, uh, that, that prosecutor is, is gone. That's, that's a dinosaur prosecutor who talks about wins and losses. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And, and, and the population is starting to, we're getting to the point now where the older generation, the, the gateway drug generation, the ones that thought marijuana made black men rape white women and things like that, they're all getting out of office and they are all vacating these seats. And we're starting to get in there with some of these seventies and eighties people that know that have seen that understand that this is this uh, war on drugs is just a, a real bullshit war, and they understand the effects, the cause and effects of some of this stuff. And I think you're going to see the population start turning too. I, I don't think you're going to start. There's already been a lot of movement and a lot of talking about you know the reform, the prison reform, the mandatory drug sentences that were ridiculous. Some of the minimum mandatory sentences for uh, despairing drugs uh, that that are the same crack and cocaine from two different ways ago are uh were crazy and and now as we start getting more people in office that have these common sense measures i'm really hopeful for the future i'm really hopeful that talking to you and the the rest of the network that we have and the guests that we have on and people that are passionate um later today we we're having on 
Colleen Cowles. She wrote, she's an author. She's an attorney as well. Um, she's an author and her book, the war on us is actually the most comprehensive, well-written book on the war on drugs that I've, that I've had a pleasure of reading. I mean, it's fantastic. And she's going to be on the show later. She covers a lot of this stuff. She talks about, you know, how this stretches out into all these branches of, of, of law and how this affects uh, the way people, the way addicts are treated when they're imprisoned, the way it affects patients when they can't get their medication, the way it affects that way it overloads prosecute uh, prosecuting attorneys offices. And I, I heard something, I watched a documentary called the 13th on Netflix, which yeah. is really good. Right. And yeah, they, they yeah. said something about if every case went to court, the system would just implode because it's so based on plea deals. Right. So uh, do you feel that way? Do you think that that's true? Yeah. So I, I saw that too. And said that, you know, if everything went to jury trial, it would, the system would break and, and it's true, but, but you can't. So I want to challenge you too to talk about what a plea deal is and, and why please, what was the difference between a good plea and a bad plea? Okay. You know, I've seen all too often people plea with, you know, being forced into a plea. Um, there are pleas where the person has no choice. They, you know, they did the crime. They're, they're gonna, they're gonna try to get this done, get it, uh, get, get it, you know, get to jail, do their time. Uh, that's one thing. And, and but there's so many times where the prosecutor, the prosecutor doesn't know who they're offering the deal to doesn't know about their life choices, what led them there, what the causes of the offense were. They just, uh, again, this is a prosecutor looking at a case by the case number and the crime and offering a plea systematically in a very uh, assembly line type of way and, and getting that person out of the courtroom. And so, so yes, they got to take pleas, but I think that we can reform how pleas are done. I think prosecutors should be, and defense attorneys should be required to provide a pre-plea uh, report on the individual. Now, we do want, if somebody pleads guilty and they go to a sentencing hearing, we have what's called a pre-sentence investigation where they have a social history of the person. So we all know in the courtroom where this person is, how they grew up, what led them to this situation. But if you take the plea, we never know that. Right, we never right. know that. And, and that is such it is such a, a huge percentage of everybody who takes a plea. Most people don't go to a sentencing here. Most people take a plea with the judge, the prosecutor, and sometimes, unfortunately, the defense attorney, never knowing who this person is, never knowing if they graduated high school, never knowing if they started college or tried to start college, never knowing if they're from a single parent home or if they were uh, there were drugs involved. Never knowing any of this. We, we sentence people and we do pleas based on the, the, the actual offense and on their criminal history and that alone. And we all know that that does not define us. Those no. things alone do not define us. So, yeah, the system would, would absolutely be destroyed if everything went to a jury trial. Pleas are helpful, but they have to be done the right way. Uh, and, and I'm not against doing pleas to, to get cases over. There just has to be some reform so that we know who the hell we're offering pleas to. That's insightful. That's insightful, man. That's, that's, uh, that's very, that's very insightful for us because we talk about these things. No, only knowing what we know, 
you know, and, and, and you're seeing it and you're doing it and you're living it. So I feel really, I feel really blessed and happy that we're part of this movement. You are coming in in support of part of the movement and we're just going to call it a common sense movement. We're just going to call this a common sense drug uh, reform movement. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. A matter of fact, there's no science. That's the problem. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah. no, there's no science. It's not only not rocket science, it's no science. Right. Um, because some of these things are just based on assumptions and what people perceive things as and what their, you know, opinions, opinions. And it's, it's crazy. It, it is. And it's been a wild ride so far. Uh, but I, I do see it trending better. I do see it trending better. And one, and the last episode we covered, we talked about Oregon and what they're doing there. And it's exciting to know that people are paying attention and wanting change. Are, are you familiar with the what, the initiative going on the ballot in Oregon uh, this November? I'm, I'm not specifically, no. It is a possession. It is a decriminalize all drugs proposal. Okay. So it's basically you're, a, a, and we didn't get into the, they just got the signatures. So I don't think, uh, I don't know if they have any details of what's going on the ballot other than for small possession, there's going to be, it's going to be a misdemeanor. Yep. So, um, and they're already doing something similar to that where it's, uh, they kind of did a pilot thing where it might've been in one city or something. I might be wrong here, but, but I know they got the signatures it's going on the ballot. And I think it's gonna, I think it, it shows a sign that a lot like the cannabis movement, which had to be a root, which had to be a uh, grassroots movement. You had to get in your local municipality, you had to get signatures. You had to get something on the ballot. Next thing you know, you're medical marijuana. Next thing you know, you're re recreational from state to state to state. And they're all going that way. I mean, all with the exception of probably Tennessee and uh, Kentucky. I, I don't know. There's a few out there that still have no laws for cannabis. But I'm starting to see that, you know, hopefully with Oregon, some of these other states start doing, trickle down on start us. trickling down a little bit where it's like, you know, we're not going to throw the user in jail if you have a if you have a usable amount on you it's there's a different penalty a lot like what you were talking about something that's not right unfortunately unfortunately we don't you know that, that's a great that's a great thing to do what they're doing out there and i trust me i look at all these different state attorney's offices and see what they're doing that's why i'm excited uh to to, to run this uh this in this election and uh we've been you know i've been taking those and using those as a platform and things i'd like to do um and so it's important and it seems like we're all learning from each other all these prosecutors from all these different districts but it's so important uh to to have dialogues like this in fact i just bought that book right now while we were talking <laughs> uh, how, how the war on drugs and myths about addiction have created a war on all of us uh so i i just got that now and um i i think going forward, it's really important to believe that it's not a Democrat or Republican issue that we really just have to get people in there that are willing. It's a to human issue. It, 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 it really is. And to tell you the truth, we, we don't need, and some people don't understand this, we don't actually need legislation like that. The prosecutors can start making a difference right now by how they charge cases and how they get people help and how they look at cases. 
Um, it, it's great to follow up and, and get that legislation, but it, it, it goes to show you how important this, this elected office is because they truly can not prosecute things that they don't believe they, they, they should or, or, or prosecute them as misdemeanors if they, if they believe that they don't rate uh, a felony. And so um, it's really important. We, we talk about the criminal justice system. All of these protests, all of these people, we talk about chiefs of police and we talk about mandatory minimums and uh, we talk about the, the relationship between police officers and, and the community. But there's so little discussion about state attorneys or district attorneys. Um, they are at the center, I think, inarguably, at this entire criminal justice system. Uh, you want to march on something, you march on a courthouse and you let the state's attorney know that this is the way we want things done. Uh, you need to be common sense, you need to be fair, you need to be just. And I think we'll get somewhere faster. That's that's great. Uh, I was going to say, man, it's it's nice to actually talk to somebody that has common sense in this stuff and actually taking that approach instead of just you know, everybody's bad. You smoked weed, you're freaking, you know. Right. Or you're, you're a drug user or a drug, you got caught with this small possession, or maybe you're an abuser. And now, you know, you're addicted to the substance. And the worst thing you could do is throw somebody in jail and isolate them from their friends and family and everything when they're addicted to something. Right. That's the worst thing you can do in the world. Yeah. Honestly, they go down, to they go down a deeper yeah. hole and then Absolutely. they can't get access to their medications and different I'm things gonna, like that. So. I want to tell you this story. So for a fact, hundred percent, I know this for a fact in the Bay County jail in Michigan here, if you go in there and you're withdrawn off of something, you know what they give you to, help you with your withdrawals cool it two gallons of kool-aid a day two gallons of kool-aid yep. and that's it they like you sit there and suffer and they think that the sugar in the kool-aid is gonna you know help you it's gonna replace it <laughs> and that that's true that they do that 100 it's crazy that is crazy well joe cervantes it's been a pleasure having you on the show man uh i hope we can have you on again i, I just really love picking your brain i really love uh, asking you questions because not because we agree with most things because i don't think we agree with everything but because it's refreshing to know this is refreshing to know uh, anybody that is in jackson county if you're listening to this podcast you can go visit joe you can donate some money even if you're not in jackson county you can donate some money if you're listening to the show can they donate money <laughs> absolutely all right so you go to www.electcervantes.com. That's C-E-R-V-A-N-T-E-Z, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Let's go to www.electcervantes.com. Make sure you uh, drop some money for the election. Make sure you spread the word. Make sure you tweet this out. Make sure you do biggest whatever thing, you have go to vote. do. That's the biggest thing. If you're, you know, if you're able to jo uh, vote for Joe, vote for Joe. Joe, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it 100%. Um, thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, I Joe. love what you're doing. Love what you're doing. Thanks. Yo, big shout out to Tina Reichert, um, Christian Reichert, sitting in jail right now. We're going to get you out, bro. We're going to figure out a way to do that. Your mom's working hard. She is.
long outro. There we go. That's how we do it. There we go. Fade to black. <laughs>